This episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. I lived overseas for many years, and one of the biggest bottlenecks to international living is money transfers. You want to withdraw money from an ATM to access funds from your American bank account, and you don't realize you're getting hit with a $10 charge every single time you do that. Yeah, that did happen to me. So if you're dining in dollars or want to do business in bot, what a Wise account does is let you send, spend, and receive money in different currencies. Wise is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. This goes from a night out at a tapas bar in Spain to buying a property in the Yucatan. So if you're a digital nomad in Bali or want to send money back to mom, it's simple. And this is all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Wise works in over 160 countries, so your money's always at your fingertips. And over half of the transfers get their destination in less time than it takes to listen to this app. Join 16 million customers and learn how a Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com unplugged. That's wise.com unplugged. One more time, wise.com unplugged. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. everyone, Scott here. What you're going to hear in this episode is a snippet from the show Vlogging Through History. This is both a YouTube show and a podcast hosted by Chris Mowry. What you're going to hear is a story about the over 300 men who were executed by the British Army for desertion and cowardice during the First World War. Chris explores the process for executions and the stories of the men involved. This snippet ends on a cliffhanger, so to continue listening to the preview you just heard, search Vlogging Through History on your favorite app or podcast player to continue listening to episode 10. You can also find more links in this episode's show notes. Hope you enjoy. World War One, which at the time was known as the Great War, was one of the deadliest wars in human history. Estimates vary, but something probably around 15 to 20 million people died as a result of the Great War. About half of that being military deaths, the rest being civilians for various reasons. But even in the midst of a great war, the armies of every nation had to deal with the problem of crime and punishment. When you're dealing with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of soldiers on the front lines, you basically have entire communities. You know, you have these divisions of 15, 20, 25,000 men. That's, that's a small town where most of these countries are. And so You've got infrastructure built around that. You've got people living in close quarters. You've got to provide food and shelter and clothing. And you have to provide justice in those situations because there is going to be crime anytime you have large numbers of people put together. And so there was military justice and there were military courts and each army dealt with those things in different ways. But specifically today, we're going to look at the British Army and how it dealt with crime and punishment. If a soldier was judged to have committed a grave enough offense in the military service, they could face a number of different punishments, imprisonment, there could be hard labor, even death. But for a death sentence to be approved, at least in the armies of the British Empire, 
It first had to be confirmed by the commander in chief in the theater. Over the course of the Great War, over 3,000 British Dominion or colonial soldiers were sentenced to death, but most of those sentences were eventually reduced to imprisonment, field punishment, or suspended altogether. And I should point out that when we're talking about the British Empire, we're talking about all of the countries that were under British rule in one form or another or politically tied in some way to Britain. So we're talking about not only the United Kingdom, which is England, Scotland, Wales, and at that time still all of Ireland, but we're also talking about their dominions. We're talking about Canada. Newfoundland was a separate part of the British Dominion. You have Australia, New Zealand, but you also have India. You have South Africa as a part of that. And you also have parts of the Middle East. But out of the entire British Dominion, there eventually were 346 soldiers who were executed by firing squad. And most of those happened on the Western Front, France and Belgium specifically. And I'm actually looking at a chart for executions in the British Army by year and based on what offense they committed. In 1914, which was the first year of the war, the war starts at the beginning of August of 1914, so the second half of the year. There were only four executions in the British Army in 1914. Three were for desertion and one for cowardice. Now you go to 1915 and that number starts to climb. Now you have 46 desertion executions in 1915, four for cowardice, two for quitting their post, one for disobedience, and two for committing murder. In 1916, the number jumps again dramatically, 71 for desertion, 10 for cowardice, two for quitting their post, three for disobedience, four for murder, and now we add three new categories for which people are executed, three for striking a superior officer. Imagine that in the heat of the moment, you hit a superior officer and boom, you're executed for it. Didn't happen often, but it did happen. One, for casting away arms, you know, throwing down your gun and saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight anymore. And one for mutiny. 1917 is the peak of executions in the war. All of those categories again, but now we add two for falling asleep on post. Total of 104 in 1917. And then in 1918, there were 46, 10 for murder in 1918, by far the most. But the majority were for desertion and one for quitting post that year. So that gives you a little bit of a sense of the crimes for which these men were executed. There were some who were civilians, some such as the Chinese Labor Corps, which were civilians but were under military law. The one lone exception within the British Empire and Dominions was the Australian soldiers. The Australians made up a a big chunk of soldiers on the Western Front, and they lost something like, I think, 13,000 Australians were killed on the Western Front fighting. But they had no executions for any of those crimes because the death penalty for Australian soldiers, the Australian government had transferred the power to confirm the death sentence from the British commander-in-chief, to the governor-general of Australia, a man named Sir Ronald Monroe Ferguson. And he always reduced death sentences for Australian soldiers to imprisonment. So a couple of interesting things as I'm looking at all of these numbers and 
There's a lot of analysis of the army. They're broken down by division, by what type of force there were, those things. There were, you know, basically what we're dealing with are about 300 executions that took place for some form of desertion or cowardice among the British armed forces during the First World War. The interesting thing to note is that the majority of those came among either the regular army, which what we're talking about is the army that existed before the war began. These are guys who were career soldiers. And then you have the volunteer army, which are the people who they're sometimes referred to as Kitchener's new army. These were guys who signed up voluntarily because they wanted to fight because they were answering their country's call to go to war. And then you have the conscripts, people who were drafted, people who weren't given a choice. The vast majority, and by vast majority, I mean almost all of the executions happened among the regulars and the volunteers. There were 25 executions among conscripts, and the vast majority of those took place in 1917. So it's interesting to note that these men who end up being convicted of desertion were men who voluntarily signed up for the army, who went to war because they chose to. But there's a big kind of cloud hanging over all of this, and that is the understanding of what we know today as post-traumatic stress. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit. First, let's talk about what went into one of these executions. Once a death sentence was confirmed by the commanding general, it wasn't long before it was carried out. The men were taken to a suitable location as near to their place of confinement as possible. And I had an opportunity to visit one of those places in the town of Poppering. And we're going to talk some more about that later on. But in Poppering, it's really just maybe less than 100 yards from where the cells were to where the actual execution took place in town. So they were taken to a suitable location pretty close to where they were confined. And then according to a book, called the Procedures for Military Executions for the British Army. It called for a squad of 12 men armed with rifles commanded by a lieutenant or lieutenant, as they'll call them in the British Army. And steps were taken to avoid any undue strain on the enlisted men who made up the firing squad. Though, as I'm going to share with you in a minute, that didn't mean the strain wasn't there. So when the squad arrived, with the place of execution, their unloaded weapons were laid on the ground and the men were actually led out of sight. The officer present would then load 10 of the 12 rifles with live rounds and two with blanks. This is something we've all heard before, and it did actually call for that in the procedures for military executions. And so the theory was this allowed each man in the squad to believe that they had fired the blank round and therefore had not actually killed the man. Now, of course, anyone who's fired something like a Lee Enfield rifle knows that it, it's probably pretty easy to tell the difference between a live round and a blank one, especially if you have fired rounds before. So how much that really worked, I don't really know how much that is the case. But in most cases, after the volley had been fired, the sergeant who was a part of that squad would then pull out his pistol and put a bullet in the head of the condemned man. We call that a coup de grace. Sometimes it would be the officer present who would do that. But it was a very brutal and very efficient way of dispatching with the condemned man. 
You know, I haven't taken a lot of time in my life to think about the psychological effect that it must have on the common soldier to be commanded to be a part of one of these firing squads, to execute one of your own fellow soldiers, especially for these guys who have been on the front lines and fought alongside these guys for a couple of years and had to deal with all of the horrors of war and to know how many times you've probably had it cross your own mind to want to get out of that situation by any means necessary, to then be ordered to to kill one of your own. It must have been horrible. And I've actually got some sources here, some descriptions from some of the men who were involved in these executions and what this experience was like for them. One of them was a man named Arthur Savage. And this is what he wrote about it. He said, I was ordered to go on a firing squad in 1917. The man was led out by a military policeman and a priest. Then he was tied to his post. He only looked about 20. It wasn't very tall. An officer went up to put a blindfold over his eyes. I could hear his voice now as clear as me and you talking in this room. He said, I need no blindfold over my eyes. Curse you and your blindfold and may the judges who will surely sentence you one day show you more mercy than you've shown me. Then we had to take aim. My hands were shaking so much. So I aimed about a foot to his left. Then we fired. There were nine of us, and only one shot caught him in the side. He slumped forward, wounded. So I was not the only one firing wide deliberately. The captain walked up to him and put a bullet into his head. Some of the men were sick. Others were crying. Most of the poor sods were mainly convicted on the evidence of doctors. They would not accept that men could reach a point of utter exhaustion when, as a result of trench warfare, their nerves and brains would snap. These so-called doctors would not have it that there was such an illness as shell shock. They insisted that the men were cowards and deserters. At the age of 14, Victor Sylvester ran away from school and joined the army. In an interview he gave just before his death in 1978, he described how he was ordered to execute a man for desertion. All right, that is all for today's episode. If you'd like to see show notes for this and all my other episodes and include sources, maps, or other relevant information, go to ParthenonPodcast.com. Parthenon is the name of the podcast network that History Unplugged is a part of, along with other great history shows like James Early's Key Battles of American History, Steve Guerra's Beyond the Big Screen and History of the Papacy, and other shows as well. If you'd like to support History Unplugged, there are two easy ways to do so. The first is to subscribe to the show on the podcast player of your choice and leave a review. This really helps the show grow. The second thing is to join our membership program on Patreon. And if you do so, you can get completely ad-free episodes of the entire back catalog of the show, which is 600 episodes and growing. Just go to patreon.com slash unplug. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Calitrin. Calitrin is a weight loss supplement made from collagen protein and digestive enzymes. Calitrin is designed to assist the body in repairing and rebuilding lean muscle using top quality ingredients. The reason it contains collagen, which is the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the body, is because it decreases as we age. Because Calitrin rebuilds this critical protein, it promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. I tried it for a month, slept great, felt more energetic, and noticeably shed weight that was gained over the holidays. Calitrin has an 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. Here are some customer testimonials. Maria in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calitrin. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. And Diane not only lost weight, but found relief from arthritis. This week, you can take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free, plus free shipping. Ordering is extremely easy. Just text the word UNPLUGGED to 30605, and you'll get a link to the special offer. Text the word UNPLUGGED to 30605. Again, text UNPLUGGED to 30605.